Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 88 with my friend, Mike Ross. I was so excited to connect with Mike. He was just this like little ball of nervous, positive energy uh, the couple of years that I knew him in high school, and I really didn't know a lot about him. And uh, you know, it's, this is a perfect example, once again, of, of somebody that, you know, you see on Facebook from afar. And other than, uh, you know, they're essentially their resume, you don't really know what else uh, is going on in their lives. So super excited to talk to him. I'm sure you guys will be super excited to hear from him. Um, full disclosure, my audio is a little screwy, because we were on Zoom and Zoom is screwing up. So I uh, I, it, it, I did some editing. Uh, so long story short, uh, around the, you know, 17 minute mark, we switch over to FaceTime and it is much better, but it's not terrible. It's just, it was annoying for me. <laughs> uh, but without further ado, I am sure you're going to enjoy this. My interview with my friend, Mike Ross. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? Okay. Good to know. Yeah. I, well, yeah. So I guess we can jump in, <laughs> but yeah, I absolutely let's do it. I usually start out with how I know people and I, I met you in high school, you and it was Nate, right? Nate was the the other guy you were always hanging you got around, it. and you guys were in bands together. And you that guys... was my Chad ninety to you. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you you were always playing punk music, and, and there and you guys were into like, if I remember correctly, a lot more like the pop punk stuff, like Newfound Glory and Blink One Eighty Two and stuff like that. And I think we all jammed together at Nate's house once or twice, uh, or at least I I mean I was there for us, uh, a couple yeah. times. And, uh, you sure, we sure did. Yeah. And then I was a couple of years ahead of you. So I graduated and, uh, went my direction of misfortunes and, and then you got, you, you know, <laughs> continued up on your life. So I, other than like social media, I don't know what you've been up to, uh, nor do I know when I think about it, what you are, where are you like, where you were from beforehand? Like, did you grow up in Clarkston? Yeah, no. So, uh, I actually, Yep, my parent. I, I was born in Warren, Warren, Michigan, and my parents in 1998 decided. Uh, my mom decided she wanted to build a house. That was her dream, and obviously, you being from Clarkston, know that was a huge booming area. Yeah. So that's kind of like where they settled. Uh, uh, so I moved at the end of seventh grade, which was devastating to me. Moving at that age, I'd never moved. I always heard about families moving and all this, and I was like, that'll never happen to me. And you know, I cried my way through eighth grade, and it was one of those like. Like, you know, finding yourself. Yeah, it's a shit uh, time. Years, and that's when it's <laughs> very shit time. And that was when the super punk rock, you know, thing came in handy. Uh, I'll tell you though, when I my first day was, I think it was right before Memorial Day in seventh grade. Uh, they got me there so I can maybe meet some friends before the summer, before going on to eighth grade. And my counselor brought me to my first class. And guess who that first person is that came up to me and said, "Hey, you want to be in our group for whatever they were working on?" Nate Matzel, of course. Nice. So I was the very first person I met, the guy who you mentioned before, and we remained best friends, you know, since through high school, always trying to scheme up some type of music thing, obviously, yeah. that we probably try to drag you guys through. Uh, <laughs> you know, like you said, we, we jammed a few times. I picked up the bass in 
that eighth grade year, actually. And that's when we started our first thing. We had a couple of guys that were in our grade and played the talent show and had one and a half songs that we wrote. Um, and then moving on to high school, I realized it was a great move and there was just seemed more opportunity with the band thing. I was going to say, I think we probably met in the band hall at some point. Cause I yeah. know you were probably hanging out with a lot of those people. The, uh, well, the I'd, media room. Yeah, I think. I'd go to the media room and then that back hallway. Yeah. I would just, uh, like segue between the, the yep. band kids and the media people. And, and, uh, and yeah, all I know, God, I know so many of those people and it's, uh, it's crazy. It's crazy stuff. It's crazy. Um, yeah. <laughs> I I couldn't tell you when we actually met, though. No, who <laughs> whoever knows. <laughs> except for that, except for you and Nate, we know that now. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm wondering. So going back further, so you're born in Warren. Do you have brothers and sisters? Do you have siblings? You have a brother, seekers younger than me, who grew up in Houston. You know, just like we did. Uh, that move for him wasn't as bad at that age. It was much more the forming years of. I love Clarkston, this, that, and the other. Uh, so a younger brother, uh, two half brothers from a dad's previous, okay. uh, much older. So when I was young, I had these brothers that were like in their late twenties. It was crazy. You know, nobody really had that uh, to come pick me up from school or whatever, but, uh, grew up with my younger brother who's six years younger than me. You, your parents never divorced. Correct. You were, you were, Correct. you were the second marriage uh, of your dad. Product of. Okay. Got it. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> like, yep. wait, so it's so, a so, somewhat so, normal, so, you know, yeah. upbringing that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Yep. Dad's previous yeah. on those because those guys are in my life. Uh, yeah. How much older were they? Were they like out of the house before you ever even like got to Clarkston or anything like that? Oh, yeah. For the most part. Yes. They were well on to their uh, lives and careers. Um, the oldest one born in 1969. So to okay, give you so they were a lot of yeah. early 50s and the other <laughs> yeah, one yeah, yeah. a couple of years. Yeah. Younger. That'd be a whole generation base. You know, if you wanted to look at it that way, but it was cool. Cause one was in the military, uh, went to desert storm and that was like mind blowing when I was a kid, you know, uh, and the other one, a fellow musician, uh, who actually spends a lot of his weekends actually making money gigging unlike you know many of us yeah uh, and has and i'll give you the the claim to fame he uh toured with uh bo bice who was american idol yes. runner-up yes. with kelly clarkson maybe i could be misquoting that but you remember the rock and roll oh, yeah. rock guy he knew him in college and called him up after that and tried to you know get what they could and i've seen him a few times with him and hung out with them and all that uh i call him bro bice bro bice so i love it re, that's a reoccurring thing yeah that's but funny. that's an interesting point uh it was cool to see him on like a real scale you know yeah. going to on the bus and all that stuff so so did you i'm wondering like dynamically in your family did you feel like more like a, a older sibling because your younger brother then because they were out of the house or did you still feel kind of in the middle how did that how did that work as far as your dynamic growing up yeah, definitely the older brother. It was, you know, structured as such where that's, yeah, I knew I had these older brothers that would come in back and forth a little bit because uh, they had moved out of state, no, nowhere really okay. necessarily around us. But definitely the older brother mentality and role for sure. Uh, didn't really understand what the middle child <laughs> syndrome, yeah. I guess they call it. I didn't, I don't really know what that means, even though I'm, I guess by blood, I'm sort of in the middle, but uh, definitely an older brother yeah. role. We'll call you like a two thirds, for sure. three quarters instead of, instead of direct. It's not middle. exactly in the middle. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Uh, 
Yeah. So it sounds like uh, childhood, though, pretty good, and except for the, the trauma of moving to another city at probably like the worst age to do so. Uh, and it's if the yes, way schools uh, are set up, that was what, a year before you actually had to go into high school, too. So you had to get used to one school only to change schools again a year later. Exactly. Yes. Uh, like I said, pretty traditional growing up uh, that way, parents together. Um, you know, I guess every story kind of has its high and lows, but my dad got sick right before we moved uh, at age 50, had a heart attack. You know, oh. he could build a whole house himself with bare hands. He was the last candidate to, uh, you know, anybody would have thought that that would happen and survived, but it was pretty, it, it wasn't mild by any means. Uh, come to find out, and the specific ischemic heart disease is the type of heart attack he had and type of heart disease that he had um, was that of uh, Agent Orange and what people are experiencing, you know, so many later years later, right? We're starting to find all this stuff out. Um, That's crazy. He's no longer with us. A. Yeah. So just at such a young age and, you know, pretty healthy, you would visually think that, you know, and 50, it's like, come on, that's not supposed to happen yet. You know, everybody smoked back then, you know, whatever. I, I wouldn't say that was, you know, the leading cause to that by any means, but definitely believe that, you know, some of those things with the, the Agent Orange was, uh, you know, a factor. And then prostate cancer, which most men experience, that was definitely on the list. And he experienced that, you know, a little bit earlier than maybe you would think. Yeah. So uh, in terms of family life, that was definitely uh, one of my more traumatic experiences being, that was probably a year before we moved six, maybe even early seventh grade. Cause we were building the house when all this went down. So wow. throw that on top, you know, trying to build this house. And then that happens. And, uh, he eventually, you know, starts to experience a better, better life after that, you know, with rehabilitation. And what do you remember about that as like, you know, as a 11 year old, 10, 12 year old, uh, yeah. I imagine you had to like go see your dad in the hospital and you hear heart attack your entire life growing up. Like you see it on fucking like growing pains and shit. And you're like, Oh no, <laughs> you know, like, um, that's yeah, gotta that's be scary. done deal. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, so the, the first things I remember, uh, you know, when it happened, I think I was, I was down for bed and my mom said, Hey, I'm taking dad in, you know, not feeling well. Something. Okay. Whatever. You know, uh, listening to 89 X on headphones, much like this in bed, listening to, uh, uh, sex phones or something, love phones. I think they called it. Love I don't lines. Know if you remember that? It's on right? 80, love lines. Yeah. All, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, try to lighten the mood up with that. I love that shit. Of course, <laughs> sixth and seventh grade. Like, oh, yeah, you know, right. Anyways, the things that stick out in my mind are my mom being on the phone. You know, the next morning coming home, calling everybody, and just hearing the story over and over and over again through my mom's one of eight so that's eight times times adult cousins i'm sure that are close with the family all the family friends his side of the family you know just going maybe she split the phone book with somebody i don't know back in those days uh but i remember my little brother tony we'll refer to tony tony ross uh coming in and hearing one of those conversations and seeing him uh you know break down at whatever age that was would you say i'm about 11 12 yeah. so he's six maybe at right around six and i'll never forget that look on you know his face uh seeing him listen to these conversations over and over again on the phone uh it's like mind-blowing you know it's like what what is done wrong this guy you know everybody assumed was you know 
healthy and super fit, I would say, much slimmer than I am. <laughs> and everybody just thought he was, he could build anything, you know? Well, sorry, I, I'm just wondering, has your view um, of your father during that time, and I'm not asking you to like talk ill of him now or anything, but like uh, as an adult now, you know, like in your 30s, has your view of him as far as his like physical fitness and maybe like habits and stuff, has that evolved at all if you look back um you know yes so because we think everything's fine that our parents do when we're younger and then we get older and like oh yes right it's so crazy you say that because that was kind of part two to uh you know kind of come to realizing what actually happened and then you know all the family stuff you know going to the hospital like you said in there for two weeks realizing what like insurance means maybe and all these different jargon floating around as a you know, sixth or seventh grader. Uh, but one of the big things out of that, and I, uh, to your point also, uh, was like the health thing, like, oh, now it's, you know, uh, heart smart health. Like that was like a big conversation rather than like, oh, Agent Orange or whatever. I don't know if that was even coming into play at the time, but the big thing was health, like, oh, we got to like eat right. And uh, he smoked, like I said, kind of like most people did. Um, not to say that I've never done that, you know, in college and, you know, beyond, obviously, as we all, you know, eventually well, I smoked a pack a day for 10 point. years. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've all been in, you know, some types of those situations, I'm sure well, not all, but you, you get what I'm saying. Uh, so uh, back to your original. So what I understand, uh, anything like kind of that has changed my life now that I'm like realize, you know, maybe look back on it. I think maybe it was a little bit more heavy at the beginning like oh we got to eat right all this which diets and everything in the last 20 years have come a long way of course with the different types of restaurants and things that are available to us uh i find myself falling into maybe that category maybe anyways maybe that did have a impact on it uh learning about health kind of early when you're when you're 12 years old you're supposed to just be eating french fries and having a good time right and I feel like I was more stressed out. Uh, so that was kind of confusing and probably one of the traumatic things in my life uh, with that. But now, you know, I feel like my physical uh, like exercise is way more enjoyable these days. I don't know why. Maybe it's just one of those things you kind of grow into. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, you know, hitting th- the gym. It's a little more, it's different these I th- days. I don't know. I think that comes with like regularity, right? Like uh, I don't, I mean, I don't, work out by any definition of most people. I, I get on the treadmill. Right. Uh, I try to every day. Uh, and, and that's nothing. I don't like run. I fucking walk like three and a half miles an hour. Like yeah. whatever. <laughs> it's cause, Cause I don't want to <laughs> die. Like that's the, at the end of the day, that's why I do it. But, uh, yeah, no, like, uh, you feel better and it's, and you know that like you're doing something good for your body and the older you get the, like, shorter you realize life is and then it's probably like you appreciate it a little more on that level too um but sure at the same time like i don't think you could talk me in being like no you get on these weight machines every day it's gonna be great i'm like fuck you (laughs) i don't believe you right (laughs) i know people do it i know they enjoy it but no um but that's i mean that's a good takeaway though if you're gonna take away anything that develops into a healthy habit from that that terrible experience i mean that's all, all around that's a good that's a good positive take sure um, exactly and i can hear him in my head you know saying 
at that time more, you know, that's heart attack food or that's this and you know, whatever, you know, young, younger. And then as we kind of grew, you know, with all the different options and the foodie stuff, he got super into cooking and, you know, made it a lot more fun that way. When did he pass? He passed uh, about seven years ago or so. Gotcha. Was it another heart attack? If Seven, you don't mind years. me asking. No, um, it was actually, uh, this is probably a good point. This, this is very interesting, actually. He, uh, well, we discovered the VA and all that, and they worked all their lives, and he's, you know, retired. And at one point, he was starting to get sick again, let's say, you know, his early 60s. And they're like, oh, your, your organs are shutting down because of the damage that was done to your heart. It just can't fulfill those organs as well, and it's much slower. So, it one after the other may start to fail, but there's this thing called the LVAD and one of the pioneers, I guess I could be misspeaking, but I'm just going to generalize that or one of the known fellas or doctors involved with the LVAD. Let's say that uh, was out of U of M. That's where he'd been going some things. And uh, we say, okay, let's go for it. Basically you're going to be out for, you know, unconscious for a day or two. I know that's, 24 hours is a long range to say that, but let's say it was a good day. We stayed the night at the hospital hotel, basically I'm off to surgery. And what it is, is uh, it's the assist device. So it's a pump that actually pump helps assist pumping blood from your heart to all your organs. So it's implanted and you have an incision in your stomach, I believe that allows the, uh, the wire, there's a little hook basically to attach uh, power to it. So you have batteries. You're basically running like the Energizer battery nice. uh, at the end of the surgery. Yeah. So, yeah. And they're telling us, you know, hey, you know, they provide you with all the nurses and the counselors. Obviously, this is a big deal, of course, because any first of all, being unconscious in a, any surgery, you have a risk, yeah. of course. And that's why somebody's got to be with you and all this stuff and talking about opening up your heart and putting a pump in. Like, are you kidding me? Like, and this is a new thing. Um, so goes in and they say, Hey, he might be, you have to watch out. Cause he might like start outrunning you guys. And we're like, that would be great. You know, all this stuff. So successful, uh, mind you during his sickness, my mom has been the ACE angel of not even in the healthcare industry by any means, but best caregiver to him. And so this was kind of ingrained in my head along the way. And this particular device requires, I mean, I don't know how anybody could do it on their own. You got to clean out the incision pretty much every night. I think with the dressing, plug into the power when you sleep so you can charge your batteries and justin let me tell you when he after some home rehabilitation after a few weeks or a month whatever it is it's such a blur uh he was outrunning us trying to build shit in the garage he's a great woodworker building like bedposts log cabin bedposts for our cottage up north which is a whole nother thing uh so it was great to see those years in him and he said he had never felt better uh uh, since before his heart original heart attack. So, you know, he lived 10, 12 years just to kind of, you know, not himself, of course, as any of us would, you know, realize. Uh, so that provided him with three to four extra years. So you go through all that with your dad. Uh, and that, I mean, obviously is happening in the background while you're off doing whatever you're doing after high school. And um, I, I know you at least now live in Kentucky. I'm sure you have had adventures on the way there. So like one thing I I notice just from, you know, like your history and social media presence is 
you stuck with and and your album that just came out you stuck with music (laughs) right like that's something you've always been doing whether it's been in the background or uh, in the foreground and it seems like you stuck with it in a way that like even if you're not directly involved playing it you're still like involved with events or or something like that like so what does that look like getting out of high school uh did you go to college right after high school yeah yeah it all kind of connects actually it's uh interesting um i did uh applied to a couple schools school wasn't necessarily you know the first thing on mine oh we're gonna go and be punk rockers forever you don't know about paying bills or anything (laughs) parents like go to college like okay well if i'm gonna go to college then i'm gonna find something that maybe is related to what i like you know i mean that's a a benefit of course so uh bring Nate back into the story. We both uh, ended up actually rooming together our first year at Ferris State up okay. in Big Rapids for a music business program that they have. Oh. So music industry management is what it's uh, referred to as. It's basically a business degree with a, you know, emphasis in a new program at the time, so they had like different music classes and a music business class and they were we were tied in with uh NAMBI, which is National Association of Music Business institutes or something i might screw that up but it's like a scholarship program kind of thing that will they try to bring students out to a nam are you familiar with the nam show in anaheim the national association of music merchants i got all these acronyms (laughs) uh it's uh basically the big trade show for all like music stores to come and see all the main brands do their thing fender to you know all your favorites are out there yeah that's cool uh, showcasing new products and that's where a lot of the deals are made at music stores i'm i'm assuming kind of if it's anything like most other uh industries which i was lucky enough to go to once i didn't really have business being there because i didn't really i mean i play i it wasn't really necessary i didn't really care about the products industry yeah i'm curious it was a cool opportunity to go check out i wonder how much of that and you probably know the answer to this more than I do, but, and, and it might just be a rhetorical question, but how much of that stuff yeah. you learned back in like, we're talking like Oh three Oh four, uh, is still like relevant today just because of that industry has like morphed oh my God. entirely. Yes. It's I mean, insane. <laughs> this is going to be a two parter probably with just this conversation alone. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so, kind of going through that program it seemed very kind of lo-fi in a lot of the ways and we one of our final projects and was like a music recording class where i mean we literally like record something and burned on a cd i couldn't even tell you the program there was definitely more advanced stuff at the time but it was super i couldn't even tell you what it was uh and then all the napster stuff and we're just coming off that right in high school coming off that napster thing and being like our record label still a thing that was my interest was record labels and being in a band and touring and management and stuff like that, which Nate and I continued to have some type of band kind of going on at the same time, simultaneously starting our own record label, uh, ASCO records, A-Z-K-O. It's based on prank phone calls that he, I, and you remember maybe our friend Eric, uh, in high school, who was in our grade, Eric Houston, uh, Sorry, guys, but calling you out on <laughs> prank calls that we would make and record them on a phone, you know, like a Jerky Boys kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. And said, hey, this is our first record release is a two prank calls on a burn CD. No idea if that ever filtered around in school or what, but it was so around those funny. times, I think. You probably were gone at the by that time. Uh, you graduated in 01, I think. So anyways, we're playing in bands and then trying to get everything that's kind of happening at this, our freshman year at that school. And I'm like, Hey, I'm just going here just to kind of waste time. And I'd rather like quit and 
tour or do whatever with our given band at the time. And you remember Blue Light Special, I think maybe that was maybe more of a familiar name. Yeah. So yeah. You kind of yeah. Chad Corey who played sax. Like yeah. that. Yeah. That's when it all kind of started clicking a little bit with the Lake Orion guys. So we like kinda of had a band with those dudes. And then that band formed into a band called The Afterword. So we did some touring. We had like our own van and trailer. And uh, speaking of the record label thing, I'll try to, you know, not make this so super drawn out. But Nate was the networking guru. He made connections with, uh, so you talk, talking about the pop punk, uh, drive through Records folks. Oh, yeah. And they nice. were always super warm and welcoming to like fans and people that loved their music, even though they were like pretty big. Uh, we made a connection with the owners and we actually, Nate and I, for our senior year, spring break or whatever that was, we said, hey, we're going to go out to California and go to the drive through office and meet this dude. He invited us out there. Super weird, right? <laughs> but ended up being fucking awesome. And we're like, why would, okay, whatever. We're just going to roll with it. So we kind of make, you know, they said, okay, thanks for letting us come check out your shit. And we went to Santa Monica and just did like a little trip. Just me and Nate hung out for a few days at a hotel and you know, walked around the beach and stuff, but we're like, Ooh, like we're maybe getting somewhere with like the music thing, whatever music thing that might become a thing. We don't even know if we have a band at the time, you know, but kind of a mentor in the music industry too. So that was cool. Fast forward, uh, the afterwards. So we said, Hey, drive through, we got this band called the afterward and we're going to, we put together this tour and we're coming out to California and they're like, Oh, we should, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if we, sent music or what but just based on like being friends they said hey we'll rent out this place and we'll do a showcase we're gonna come watch you guys play at a studio nice like, oh wow you've always hear about like the showcases for record labels yeah, right yeah like cool do it uh drive through was owned by uh a guy and his sister so it was a sibling uh ownership super nice folks and had us they came and checked us out cool whatever and i said hey we're not going to sign you to drive through, but we'll, we're going to, we think your stuff's great. We want to do a demo deal. Basically we're going to pay for you to go record all new music and we'll pay for it. And if we like it, we'll sign you to one of that label. Or they had a couple little sub labels that they've had at the time with acoustic stuff and whatever. And I should point out so, to, to people too, drive through records. Like uh, one of my favorite compilations that I had from back in the day is drive through records. You'll never eat fast food again. And like, yeah, uh, I mean, Newfound Glory originally on drive through correct? And then, correct. Um, I mean, fill in the gap here. What are some other? Yeah. That I, uh, I have so Newfound many. Phoenix TX. Oh, yeah. Uh, or formerly River Phoenix before the Formerly lawsuit. River Phoenix. Uh, RX, RX Bandits, formerly yeah, Pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical Bandits. Bandits. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. There's uh, so many great bands on that label. That had to be so cool uh, to be just in that world uh, at that level. That's That's sweet. So yeah, Correct, so do you yeah. guys record the demo then? So yeah, we go to, uh, they set us up with uh, Jesse, what's his last name? I'd have to find out. Jesse, saw, anyways, he's a engineer, let's say, you know, probably a producer and with some bands too. But uh, this guy was in New Jersey, recorded a lot of drive-through bands and uh, movie life, I think. And you know, some of these other East Coast kind of punk bands at the time in the early 2000s. And we recorded whatever eight songs that was the best stuff we've recorded to that date and sent it to him. And pretty much not to have an anticlimactic kind of ending, but uh, nothing at the end of the day really worked out. We yeah. had awesome recordings, but 
by then drive through was pretty much they were screwing it up and the saw sub labels it was just nothing that ever worked out with drive through but a great experience to kind of go through those motions and see what it's like was and that one thing that yeah go ahead okay oh, you go <laughs> oh i was gonna say uh through that process you're uh they when you're signing record contracts which i kind of what it was like it was basically like a drive-through records contract but it was for just demo deal whatever so we had to get a lawyer to sign it with us you know which is probably smart pam whatever it was i couldn't even tell you we're like oh wow this is like really yeah, we're is this something we're like going to be doing you know so we had some suggested lawyers uh one of them being we were actually on the road and went to new york city and met some entertainment lawyer who has worked with all everybody you can imagine from all american rejects i remember seeing some plaques on his wall from like every band you could imagine and he's like guys don't do this just record on your own and figure don't sign with drive through don't 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 do this we're like totally taking the fun out of it right to us because we're like <laughs> We like the association. Like, we come on, man. Like, what the fuck? You know, don't tell us this. You're absolutely right. Probably. <laughs> so he's like, I'll give you the best damn demo deal you ever had. But he's like, from real dudes to real, you know, just don't keep doing what you guys are doing, whatever. So we had someone else sign the demo deal for us <laughs> and did it. <laughs> some guy in Minnesota, just some lawyer, yeah. some entertainment lawyer, maybe. I don't even remember. But that was kind of a cool moment. But you know, he was basically took the fun out of it, but we ended up doing it. It didn't cost us anything or like a career or anything. It just didn't never amounted to anything. And but it's, it's got to be anything. It's got to be cool so. to have that experience like in a studio and the fact that it's funded by someone else. Um, you know, like I, I have one experience recording in a studio and it's, I would fucking do it every day of my life if someone would pay me to do so. Cause it's so much fun. Like right. it's such a unique experience. It is. Uh, and, and, and I, do you, do you get to look back and still value that even though the end result might not have been what you guys were hoping for? Yes. Especially with moments like this that we're having. I mean, that's super cool. And I feel like it's built character you know being in that van built character and yeah. uh made you realize you can do other stuff in life too and still do this uh yeah there's no nothing no regrets to like yeah. saying we're gonna go sell out or you know make some bad decision no i would tell that story full confidence just like i am right now and i think it's helped and now i would i would say the same thing that guy did i'd be like uh-uh, you can do this all on your own. If you can't do it on your own, then maybe you shouldn't do it at all. There comes a point where you need other people yeah. to come and help you. I think you should, you know, raw talent and, you know, should be able to do some of those things on your own until you can't anymore. It was a lot different back then, too, to your point of everything was just starting to crumble with, uh, you know, downloading and yeah. Napster stuff. And now it's got on a certain, a new track, you know, of course, with the subscriptions and, you know, what have you. It's, yeah, it's I weird. thought I was going to be the last person to have CDs on this planet. They're still at my mom's house, but I don't mess with that anymore. <laughs> I appreciate it. but And I never got into vinyl collecting. I have a few. But Do you end up dropping out of college to go do all this? Or did you finish college? So, no, actually, it seemed like maybe that was going to be like the point. So that was the afterward. And then Nate moved on to a different school i think he came back home went to oakland then went to grand valley and we still had the afterward actually during this uh 
kind of based out of Grand Rapids during those couple years. And I still stuck with Ferris, uh, graduated. After my first year, I ended up meeting like friends of my lifetime, I'll call it. Uh, yeah, a core group that was kind of part of my program. We had an association with the music business stuff. And I was before that, I would feel like I was kind of like more of a stubborn and thought maybe more other people were naive and then kind of grew out of that and made such great friends with all these people from across the country that came there to go to school and still best friends with a lot of them to this day who have moved on and done all kinds of great shit and music and all sorts of industries. Um, but graduated with that program, just stuck through it. The friends there, I think were the big thing and uh, ended up putting together a metal band uh, called better left impaled. I didn't put this together. A uh, couple guys, they were looking for a bass player who were kind of in a mutual friend group. And that was probably the most fun I've ever had with a band because we had a built-in crowd at school. Oh, yeah. And it was music I never thought I would ever play and pulled it off pretty well, I think. Uh, so that was like, okay, afterwards done. And I'm like, I don't know if I'll ever play in a band again because like, who the hell knows, you know? And that was like the first band outside of my comfort zone of people that I, Nate, me and Nate were in those bands since i met him in seventh grade yeah. never really explored outside of that and people would say oh you have your whole life you're gonna meet all sorts of people you're like no fuck that i'm gonna be in the <laughs> band with my best friend you know and then now you know a few bands later like i couldn't be more stoked to how it kind of fits in life um, so yeah i did graduate yes how long do you stick around after that before you go to chicago so uh graduate in may or whatever and then went back home back to clarkston with the parents and uh max and irma's was nice enough to uh let <laughs> us come back and work all through college i just come home and whenever i need ran out of money i would just come home and pick up shifts it was love great. them restaurant jobs uh, so man. i worked <laughs> you exact i mean it's not only max and irma, i mean it's every, yeah. exactly yeah. i mean it's super beneficial so I came back and worked at Max and Irma's that summer. I had a great summer just with home people and people that hang pretty much partying and hanging out with the Max and Irma's crew that whole summer. And I don't think I was really doing music stuff. I had friends that were, and you know, screwing around. But that fall, that uh, October, I believe it was, I told my buddy who I met at Ferris, I said, I'm moving to Chicago on October 15th. I don't care if I have a job or not. I'm just gotta you know i'm 22 or 23 whatever this is the time just to go and do it and who cares i'll get a bartending job right yeah weeks before it a buddy who worked at victory records so another kind of you know label one of like biggest hardcore labels yeah around yeah one of the biggest independent label it uh he uh definitely uh says he is which yeah biggest hardcore label for sure end up getting a warehouse job there because they did everything in house. They printed all their shirts and you know, they're big vinyl because of the hardcore stuff, as you know. Uh, So I worked in, I packed web orders for probably over a year and packed hot topic orders and everything pretty much came out of that warehouse in Chicago, which was really cool. And then got promoted to a sales position. And that's gotta be cool after your, you know, your focus at school and then the whole, whole like uh, stint with drive through and now you're working like yeah you're not like in the booth or anything but you're working for victory records which is cool while you're living in chicago yeah, right 
Um, I mean, what outside exactly. of like your job and, and these bands, like what's going on in your life throughout this period? Yeah. So let's see, I moved to Chicago with a, with a buddy and he was working for victory, but was a part of their uh, assault team, which is basically they drove SUVs across the country and followed tours and handed out samplers yeah. that we've probably all gotten outside yeah. of venues from those guys. <laughs> Definitely. So I basically had like my own place, you know, for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Making shit money. You know, it wasn't even, I mean, they're very notorious for uh, a lot of things. Victory that is, and we could, that's all another podcast probably. But how, but, uh, at how that are time, you? Yeah. How are you, uh, like supporting yourself if you're living in Chicago and making, making shit money? Uh, I mean, <laughs> you, you mentioned like, I, I always like to point this out in case, uh, you know, whoever's listening, but like, is there a back end? Yeah. like, are your parents fronting your rent for now? Like, is there anything like that happening or, um, they were definitely supportive. I can't sit here and say that I didn't ever receive anything from from them I, that would be a complete bullshit lie uh they definitely were supportive and helping me get to a point you know and they were even like what the f- really I'm like <laughs> trust me like this will something else will come out of i have this. a Just plan mom leave me alone yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and having uh a, you know several roommates and it's amazing you'd say chicago yeah i'm like how did i do it somehow i i was really good at finding uh cheap ass apartments that were pretty decent i, yeah. I gave that to myself uh, and i this buddy had a, a girlfriend that he was with too so it was three people putting in rent on a kind of a smaller place but he was gone and she was working out and doing stuff so it was like, like a three people chipping into kind of having like my own spot but not saying it was you know that cheap it is chicago yeah, you're yeah. right but uh a little support sure i mean it's ride, driving a car that i've had since college that's you know basically falling apart and taking yeah. a bus to work or you know just avoiding gas stations things like that and how many years are you in chicago total probably just under five years okay but i only worked for victory for about two two and a half so there's a transition point uh so chad you know chad he picked me up for lunch one day and we're out to lunch i'm like i can't stand it any longer at this place you know what did i get myself into He's like, dude, I got you. I got you. He's like, if I hear anything, I'll let you know. Thanks, bro. You know, one of those things. Appreciate yeah, yeah. It. Not even two weeks later, he forwards me an email to uh, uh, from the brand director for Paps Blue Ribbon. Is <laughs> life even, is it possible to get any better than this? <laughs> PBR goes hand in hand like, with all small what concerts. What the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's funny. Looking for uh, like a what do they call it uh, a field marketing rep for Paps. I'm Does like, that mean you just go to shows and hand out Paps? <laughs> basically, I mean, here's a credit card. To, it's unbelievable, right? Yeah, I didn't know anything like this existed in my life. I'm like, well, so that funny. seems like a good transition coming from the music kind of world. Paps is like on its way. People are very familiar with it. It's very associated with a lot of the things that I probably was kind of doing. I was oh, probably yeah, already like a fan of it. The height of it being the hipster beer. Uh, Which is sure. probably the height of it being a hipster beer. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because that program didn't last as long there, even though they were still growing and doing great things. Uh, so I get this job and quit victory. Like you couldn't believe it, which it was a little bit more of a normal sustaining salary, I guess, yeah, you yeah. know, at this point. So I'm like, Ooh, okay. Well, that's how things work. Wow. All right. <laughs> so doing this, probably drinking way too much, basically working in the evenings through the nights. Bars never close there hardly. So uh, passing out, working with bars, setting up programs, 
doing a bar spend in order for them to order more, attaching on to shows, sponsoring events, doing all kind of that street kind of guerrilla marketing, yeah. keeping, you know, it's peps. You don't want to make it feel corporate, but somebody kind of needs to be the guy, whatever. There's a couple of us in Chicago. So did that for a couple of years, end up taking on different roles, kind of growing up with, I'm like, you know, I wanted to be that field marketing guy and just like run around and be an idiot. Right. Yeah. But they're like, okay, now you need to like go to the suburbs and actually call on liquor stores and stuff like this. I'm like, what? No way. No, <laughs> there's no way. One of those uh, learning curves, which ended up working out great career wise, you know, to where I'm at now they saw some potential. So anyways, so one of our, or our, general manager of the region at that time said, Hey, I need somebody to go to Michigan. And I was already kind of planning on maybe moving back yeah. to the Detroit area. Cause I had friends that I've missed and whatever. And so Chicago's expensive like, as fuck. For that. <laughs> and it's expensive. as fuck. Exactly. So yeah. all these things are now starting to like, you know, add up, like you said. So I moved to Ferndale get, you know, I mean, the rent is amazingly cheap at the time, not yeah, anymore, yeah. obviously as you know, the market is, but I rent this little house and I'm, the dude running paps for Michigan. I'm like, that's cool. Yeah. And got back together with a lot of homies. Uh, said general manager that helped me move or that said, hey, you know, okay, you're good. You want to do that? Go for it. He is the president of the company I work for right now. So that's how oh, all wow. that kind of transitioned. So yeah. uh, if I'm if I'm doing my math correctly, <laughs> you're uh you turn thirty what when you're in Michigan, right? Right before between Chicago and I actually turned 30 a month after I moved to Kentucky. Okay. So my 30th birthday was that fall. I, my years might be a little, Oh no. I, yeah. You're, you're good when I'm in the conversation. I'm just, I'm curious leading, leading up to that. Like if you were to look back on those, you know, graduate high school to moving to Kentucky and, and those, those years in between, like what are some of the things that pop into mind that you, might have had to like overcome or that you struggled with that, that might've been like defining points of, of those developmental 10 years. Yeah. Um, I think kind of going back to the thing with when I was at Pabst and kind of had that fun kid role doing the, you know, whatever. And they said, all right, field marketing program, no more. Everybody is going to be actual real salespeople. Yeah. Like, what the fuck does that mean? I have distributors and all this jargon and stuff. They saw potential in me to like be able to p handle this great and have different type of responsibility. Let's say that getting calls from your boss at seven in the morning instead of going to bed at seven in the morning <laughs> doing the, the night gig stuff. So that was a huge. I was not standing for it, but I held on. I was like, all right, well, at least we're getting paid. Keep just trying and do and do. Uh, I talked to every single person at that company that I thought could like, I could be better used in a way. But at the end of the day, it was super beneficial learning all those kind of, uh, it was like, I would say, well, and this is growing up. <laughs> you know, I would like be singing that in my head. It's like not all fun. And now it's come full circle where it's like fun again because you've had all that experience. Yeah. So that was in that, in those 10 years, that was that. Uh, my dad passed when I was at 28. So that was when I was living in Ferndale. Thank God I was, I moved home from Chicago Yeah, and uh, he was retired and we got to spend a lot of time together. 
and I was living in Ferndale when that happened. So that was actually a good thing, right? Yeah, that, uh, that worked out. That this was actually back home. Yeah. Yeah. So that was definitely a challenging thing. The career stuff, although anybody would be like, okay, you work for a beer company. How bad could it be? <laughs> You're right. That I can't complain, but everybody has their own little battles, you know, yeah, within yeah. that. And then my dad being sick, going through all the LVAD stuff right in my mid 20s was definitely, you know, definitely weird, especially when I was in Chicago when some of that started happening and then moved to Michigan spend a great amount of time with him there he got to see me start with the current job i have now because i've been there so long so he got to see some of those transitions which is great um yeah he died when i was 28 so and then a year later i moved out here and that was a hard thing too hey mom i know you know this could potentially be you know a great thing my brother's like, I will help you move, you know, and like live your dream, whatever. And it was, that was a hard thing to do. Like, Hey mom, guess what? I could potentially move to Cincinnati. I've been there when I, once when I was eight, I have no idea about this place, but it's the closest major city to our distillery in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Uh, and that's where they want somebody. And this is a new company and I'm on the forefront of it, which I'll get into in a second and just full support. You know, I felt bad, of course. Yeah. leaving the area a year after you know my dad passed and i felt like i was kind of leaving maybe my mom alone you know in that but uh always very supportive and it's only four hours away it's just like living in chicago so moved out here and literally spent my 30th birthday here so i was funny how like you said that's right, a 10 right year kind of yeah. cap yeah well i wonder and, uh you you have this this trait that you uh, and it's funny because when I think about you in high school, I feel like you had this too. And I, I didn't have it for most of my life. So then I, I always ask about it, but you, you seem to have this confidence in yourself or these ideas that you have, right? Like whether it's, I'm going to be in this band and tour, or we're going to like fly out to California and like meet these drive through records guys, uh, or fuck it. I'm going to go to Chicago. Right. Um, and and when you said you're working at like PBR and, and when you're working for the company you're at now, you're kind of looking for like, okay, what else can I do um, and, and move up and like utilize, you know, and, and grow up to quote Blink-182 again. But where, right. where, do, where do you think that comes from when you think about that? Like, is that something from your family? Is that something that you maybe I, I don't know? <laughs> Great. I love that you brought this up because uh, – you reference kind of like, you know, when we knew each other back in the day, you feel like maybe I've had this like confidence thing or maybe I, it was so long ago, but I always felt like, and even my mom would say, I was the reserved kid, the quiet, just observe, you know, and my brother was kind of the maniac and I would never even fathom that. Yeah. yeah you Playing. I was like, Ooh, I can hide behind a base and we, it's showtime. <laughs> right. Uh, and I always well, felt like I was more reserved. And yeah, I so, think even people when I, I think I, I, and I'm sorry, I, I think it, I just, I'm just, no, I, I'm just thinking like, <laughs> I for sure think you had like, uh, like kind of like this nervous reserved energy, but when uh -huh. you talk about the things that you're interested in and going after them, it doesn't sound like you speak about it. Like you had any hesitation in doing so. I'm not, yeah, I'm not gotcha. saying like you walk around yeah. with your chest pumped out and you're like, fuck everybody this is great but like uh it doesn't sound yeah. like you 
you know, had that voice in your head that was constantly maybe going like, you're not going to be good at this. <laughs> like you, you had that, that self-assurance. Uh, and I'm wondering, that's, that's more where I'm coming from where I'm like, where, where do you, where does that come from? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, funny cause you know, the guy, uh, I feel like Nate, you know, my, one of my first best friends, I feel like he helped me get out of a, a certain shell in a way. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to take the pieces where I know that I'm good and make it look like you know that's i got this kind of thing maybe not fake it till you make it or you know necessarily but i feel like he had a big part in uh breaking me out of my shell going up and talking to random people about your band or you know how i joked like oh he's probably like hey justin you're like who the hell are you (laughs) you know you want xyz hang out or you know he was the first person that came up to me when i moved uh I, i think maybe that that had something to do with it and being put in a lot of uncomfortable situations maybe i, I get what you're asking it's yeah. still i'm still trying I, yeah to no like i mean i think response, there's a, but those are things i think that lead to it yeah there i you can't always identify it i just wondered if if that's ever anything yeah. that you've given the thought to where you can uh i and put words to it but i i because i think that's and obviously this is the first time we've talked in in 20 years so I don't know what your personality has developed into, uh, but I, I get a sense that, that, that those roots are, are still there and, and thriving. And so I'm just curious uh, in, in your storytelling. I, I hear that and, and it's, it's awesome. And it sounds like you've, you've got to do a lot of really cool things because you decided to just do them. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think all those cool things leads to a certain type of confidence. The company I work for now, pretty much one of the first employees on board to, uh, you know, that's a whole another story. We haven't even gotten into that, <laughs> but I don't know certain things that I love, I guess they come across the whole different way. And if people are telling me that like, Oh, that's good. Then I'm going to totally believe it and <laughs> play off it too. Yeah. How lovely of you to notice. So <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad I could do that for you. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, let's, let's, I guess, segue into more recent times now. You're working for, yeah. uh, is it a moonshine company? Traditionally a moonshine company, yes. It started off uh, Old Smoky Distillery, uh, opened in 2010, and I pretty much started uh, a year, two years after they opened up their main distillery in Gatlinburg. Uh, segue from, uh, I was talking about my previous GM at Pabst, their whole a few of them, a uh, few of the executives at Pabst went and helped Old Smokey start their wholesale sale of the business. So mm-hmm. Old Smokey was already a tourist tasting room distillery in Gatlinburg. Yeah. Moonshine, duh, Smoky Mountains. <laughs> cool. Let's do like a play on moonshine. And yes, sure. it is real moonshine. It's just regulated by the government. It's legal. Still um, made still in a Pabst. Still guys. In the forest. Yeah, um. <laughs> right in the woods. In the... <laughs> radiator no Mm -hmm. uh the uh executives from my previous job had come over and and some of the other mid-management fellas and ladies and i uh got asked to help start the michigan market i'm like what the hell is this thing i've never heard of it uh it it was there was a few on the shelves already it just started so i managed the distributorship in michigan and got this thing launched and did because I was working for Paps previously. So I had all these relationships with all the bars in Michigan and uh, the surrounding area, of course. So I'm like, boom, we get some business rolling, get the thing rolling. 
Uh, it's been eight and a half years since that day, which is crazy. Wow. And I've held multiple positions there. So after a year at uh, in Michigan, uh, said GM and my boss at the time called me, said, hey, uh, would you want to move to Cincinnati and you know, take on kind of this other role, like, you know, a little promotion or whatever. I'm like, I don't know. Sounds cool. I have no, you know, attachments to anything, renting a house, whatever. So I'm like, give me two days. Let me just talk to my mom, about, you know, just kind of things you would do. Right. Before yeah, doing yeah. Something like that. And they know, you know, my dad passed a couple, you know, a year before that. So that was kind of, but they wanted to like do something good for me too. So I ended up calling them back on that Friday. I said, yep. Count me in when you need me there. Like sooner than better, sooner, sooner than the better this yeah. is maybe september <laughs> birthdays in october so uh move yeah i it was like impossible to get a appointment to see apartments or houses for some reason i don't know why on cincinnati and kentucky side and i know jack shit about this area besides my boss actually at the time lived around here so he was like a connection here um and i had two appointments one day i came down looked at one place which is actually i bought a condo by the way uh, a couple of years ago, okay. I looked at one of these condos funny enough and it just didn't look good at all, which is <laughs> funny because I'm living in one of them now. And then right around down the street, looked at another place. I was like, boom, this is it. Sign. I'll see you in two weeks. Like, and he was like, cool. Got it set up. Moved down here. Hardly to a soul besides a couple of coworkers and some distributor salespeople that sell our brand down here. And it's a very social job too, of course. So I'm running around bars meeting people and then there was kind of a low point like all right all my friends here are like you know just people that are kind of out and about maybe yeah. you know and not like people i'd have over my house necessarily yeah. like what am i doing uh, i still have you know some good friends back in michigan which some of them have like moved from there since uh so there was definitely a year where it was like what am i doing yeah i can go out and like mingle the work kind of mingle and have some drinks and hang out fine this is a cool area but where are those like, I need a solid just to come home and shoot the shit with and sit on my couch. And, you know what I mean? It yeah. wasn't really any of that. Cause you, I mean, previously yeah. even yeah. going to Chicago, you know, you, you go somewhere or going to college, like you go somewhere, you always have at least that one person that, that grounds you and connects you with other people. But you did this yep. on exactly. your own, right? Like it was pretty was much <laughs> all on the own. Yep. Yeah. Yep. New, like my boss and a coworker, you know, previous to moving here and I met the guy who lived above me and we hit it off so well, but he ended up moving probably about a year later to Dallas, which <laughs> I ended up going to visit him, going to his wedding and all this stuff. And the new guy that moved above me at the time, I went up there. I said, Hey, guess what? You're my new friend now because <laughs> the other guy is gone. So, and that guy, he just moved to Hilton Head, but he and another guy that lived next door, we had our all of a sudden out of nowhere, we just, had three best friends just hanging out in the backyard drinking beers like every day a little too much it's calm down <laughs> uh, and i'm like this is it i mean we do all we've traveled together we do all sorts of shit we're still like a tripod the three of us yeah that's awesome uh, and the other one he lives in a condo right by me and we actually uh it's so crazy going from like a low to he and i just don't go on business with your friends by the way disclaimer <laughs> but he and i just bought a investment house out here we bought a fucking house that our friend is paying us rent to live in 
There you go. Hey, that, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, a, that's a great, I'd love to have an investment property. Good for you. And, uh, and congrats yeah, on, you. on the condo and, and that's a good thing too. Um, I, I want to be, you. I want to make sure I discuss or at least bring up this album you just released. Yes. Uh, absolutely. The band is called the shivers. Is that right? That's right. Tell me, tell so, me about uh, the shivers. How long have you? Yeah. Guys- so kind of back to the haircut talk which is funny uh, i got my guy who i use and he's since opened up his own thing in his in his place you know so it's that's what i was saying it's nice to have somebody just to go to at their house or whatever sure um yeah he uh and we've been kicking it you know and the, i've been sitting in his barber chair for you know a couple of years at this point and one day off the cusp i was talking about music and of course we talk about music all the time but i was saying like oh a, a bass guitar i was talking about the bass and this is after not being in a band for a while, of course. And he's like, you play bass? My buddy just posted on Facebook looking for a bass player for this thing that they're doing. And I'm like, all right, well, sure, send it to me or send them to me. And we ended up hitting it off and went to try out or whatever. There was three guys that already had this thing kind of going and I think tried out, uh, air quote, tried out <laughs> some bass players. And they liked everything that I kind of had to offer and just jumped in and started writing with them. This is, I mean, we're talking now three, four, three years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's been a few years. Um, And playing locally for the most part, we've played, we're on a state borderline, so we could say we play two states, you know, back and forth. Yeah, that's cool. But uh, yeah, we've recorded a few things here and there. And then finally we said, hey, all right, now we got a collection of songs. Let's go in the studio, a friend of ours studio around here, a converted little church that nice. they, his band has one of everybody, a graphic designer, a carpenter, you know, so they decked this whole thing out, basically brought the walls in, yeah, you know, from like the outside. So created a room in a room, you know, obviously as you would do like professionally for a studio, recorded a bunch of stuff, had some new songs and said, Hey, we just need to get this stuff recorded and mastered and just, posted somewhere you know talking about people that have jobs it's not like you know we're trying to like take this to a certain level yeah yeah necessarily i don't know (laughs) but uh i'm just like let's just get this thing out and we practice every couple weeks uh yeah pretty it sounds i mean sounds great like the finally have yeah quality digital release on spotify and itunes like it just hit and yeah we're gonna be doing some other like podcasts kind of like this this is kind of a first for me I like actually <laughs> may I rewind real quick? Yes, please do. <laughs> Cause I'm going to just throw this at you. Cause I thought it'd be funny. It's probably not going to be funny anymore. Planned humor <laughs> does not work out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> me and my buddy, when I was living in Ferndale, uh, who we started a band, we had a band in there too, for a short amount of time. Uh, and he was like, we got to start a podcast. I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah, whatever. And yeah, you know, we're talking, seven eight years ago yeah so we did we had a podcast with episodes kind of like this nice where we'd sit you know we're like oh we feel like we're on the radio with the headphones you know and all this yeah. stuff and i think we just put them to like youtube or something i don't even know if, like i think they're taken down but it was getting people so uh, my whole thing was we started a podcast when it wasn't cool that was the <laughs> <whole thing>. <laughs> <laughs> i love what you're doing obviously but yeah we uh this is my this I, is my I second podcast track. Sorry about that. oh you're good okay uh, yeah, no, I, uh, cause I, I, so I quit drinking two and a half years ago and. Oh, really? I thought it was, didn't know it was that long ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. but it's before that I had a podcast called modern beers and nineties nostalgia, where I would 
review craft beer and then uh talk about some 90s pop culture thing and it started one night because i was just Correct. like that's right i was like three two hearteds in and i was watching empire records and i was like i gotta go record me talking about this fucking movie while i'm drinking this two-hearted and uh and that spun into like almost 100 episodes of exactly that which was uh damn okay that was a lot of fun but yeah, no, uh, but you still got me beat because that was only like five years ago, you son of a bitch. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> That's, yeah. No, I, remember, I can remember you like opening cans now. Uh, I can remember oh, about yeah. that today. I was like, that means you listen, so thank you. you. Drinking, but I remember you talking about beer. I talk about beer. Uh, I talk about beer constantly still. Um, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I don't know like we were talking about social media earlier and I'll probably cut this out, but, um, like I, uh, yeah, I love beer. Like I, I love hops, stouts, like the chocolate coffee notes. Like every, I love everything about it. Um, and the non-alcoholic craft beer market has like exploded over the last like two or three years. And sure. so I have, I've not saved any money by quitting drinking and my, like this fridge behind me is fucking full of uh, stouts and IPAs and and amers and yeah, all all non-alcoholic. And I do a awesome. weekly review, and I'm on like week thirty-three, and I'm I don't know when I'll ever actually run out of beer because there's so many out there, and I've never touched as far as like the reviews go. I've never touched like a fucking O'Doul's or anything like that. It's all it's all craft beer and it's crazy the amount that's out there. got it it's just nuts i um, bet i I bet there is yeah it's funny that uh, just like on a side note unrelated to anything but you're talking about how you live on a state line so you can be like yeah we play ohio and, and kentucky it's so frustrating yeah. when i tell people i go to cincinnati for work because people are always like ohio and i'm like i mean not really but like if i say i go to hebron for work does that help you at all? that doesn't mean anything <laughs> Uh, it's the story of my life, Justin. Yeah, I bet. How's I bet. Ohio? How's Ohio going? Uh, fuck. <laughs> Which fine, I will okay. say though, when I do cross yeah. that border, downtown Cincinnati's got some some pretty cool places to go to. Um, Very cool. But yeah, I, I'm typically like stuck in a hotel in Hebron. I'll go to like Hebron Brew House, and that's about the extent of my two or three days in town. Um, well, I hope that still works out because we will definitely. I mean, I'm so close we could talk about that yeah later, dude whatever I, uh, it is, but for sure yeah, if that works out still week of valentine's day and that's uh my guy there so i'll jump back is that well, a for sure well uh, let me let me let me do this first uh because yep i think your band your job i think we're current <laughs> timeline wise yes uh is yes, there anything that i didn't talk about that you wanted to plug or mention or anything like that uh yeah this I think you kind of hit it, but uh, yeah, the Shivers, uh, the Shivers 513, if you're confused, there might be some other Shivers references out there, but if you type 513 anywhere, you'll find us, uh, Spotify, uh, iTunes, pretty much anywhere streaming. The album is called Dreadfully Distinct, 10 songs. It's a pretty actually long album, um, so very excited about that. That came out in December, and it's all digital right now maybe physical at some point but you know we've got it on a you know it's on the map now i feel like an old man when i buy anything physical i like i yeah i lost so many cds when my basement flooded and people are like you still have cds i was like shut up i love them (laughs) i love them so much um 
And then we were talking about and at vinyl the same earlier. time. Uh, <laughs> we're, you know, the, the moonshine thing and whiskey. Uh, I said we, you know, we're traditionally a, a moonshine company. Uh, we've evolved into whiskeys and ready to drink canned cocktails. It's one of the fastest growing whiskey companies out there. Flavored whiskey, the largest market share of moonshine uh, on the market. Nice. And it's really fun. It's the best group of people I've ever worked with. And uh, it's so worth mentioning. Uh, whether you try it or see it, we went from nothing to something to nothing. And now it's just like, where do we put this stuff? Uh, million case brand this year. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Million cases this year. Yeah. Going from 20,000 on my first year to it's a, a funny, uh, it's a funny year. flip side where like I was just talking about the non-alcoholic beer, like market has exploded. Like in 2020, it grew like by 35% or some shit. Um, and then, but the el- the alcohol sales during the pandemic have gone through the fucking roof. I saw some stat that was like two hundred eighteen percent or something. I was like, Jesus Christ! Oh, it's insane. Uh, it yeah. yeah, we could sit here all day and talk about that. People <laughs> discovered our brand who would never pick it up because let's say there was nothing else to buy at the store. Yeah, uh, we obviously have a following still, but top year and now twenty twenty one was our top record of a year. But that's awesome. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, just setting records. It's crazy. So we'll see what happens. Congrats. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, well, yeah, thank you for doing this and, and, and sitting down and, uh, it's so good to see you and hopefully I will see you in person in, in five weeks. Um, yes, we'll make something. I know I got, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll figure it out. Time. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. <laughs> Let's keep in touch. I'll text you anytime and for sure, man. Fucking hang out. Yeah. Awesome. You. I'm so I stoked. It. All right. Me too, man. Good luck on the All band brother. too. Have a good night. You and I have lots in common. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? All right, you just listened to my interview with Mike Ross. Uh, (laughs) You know, I I really admire that Mike had like all the jobs that I always wanted when I was when I was a teenager and in my twenties, like. If you could have found a beer company that would be like, hey, we need you to go to all these shows and all these bars and get other people to drink our beer. I'd be like, uh, and you, excuse me, you're going to pay me to do this? Uh, <laughs> so, and then got Victory Records. I know, as he mentioned, that was like a little bit of a shit show because of the management, but uh, I don't so much care about Victory Records, but there's a number of record companies that were small enough to where I could possibly have worked there. Um, and, and obviously didn't like if I could get if I had a story where I worked at fat records for like three years, that would be fucking amazing. Uh, but I don't, uh, I'm glad that that Mike does. And, and that was really great to hear. And I'm so glad he shared so much of his story with me. And I hope you guys are enjoying listening and having the time of your life. Like that song from dirty dancing. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, <laughs> feeling goofy. I've had a, I've had a goofy kind of day, goofy kind of weekend, but I want to take a minute to shout out our patrons, uh, people like Michelle and Katie and Dustin and Ginny and Kara and Becca. Oh my God, Becca. I love you. Welcome. Uh, so many amazing people out there supporting the show. You can be one of them over at patreon.com slash friend request pod. It's only a dollar nine, a buck oh nine, if you will. I did that for the ska reference, all you ska folks out there. So 
join those wonderful people and and contribute and help support the show. I deeply appreciate it. I love you guys so much. I will talk to you next week. We got such we got a fun interview next week too. I mean, I guess they're all fun, but <laughs> there's a another one next week that is going to be very exciting. So I will talk to you guys then and until then, enjoy your enjoy your week. Enjoy are you doing dry January? Enjoy that. I love you guys. Okay? Uh, bye-bye. <laughs>